Welcome to Spoilers Intended, a podcast about series, novels, and films. For this episode, a family contrives, not everyone survives, all whilst an immigrant strives, and Chris Evans drives. That's right, we're talking knives. Out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Ford, joined as always by Andrew Knuckles. Hello. And Joel Killingsworth. Hello. <laughs> I love I love that Andrew continues to tread expectations. No, like, no, no. He, he's like, it's it's like a game of chicken every time, right? Sometimes he's like, I'm going to stare Joel in the face oh, no, no, and no. not take his intro uh, okay, line. And sometimes we're going to stare him in the face and yes, take his intro line. Tread on it just a little bit. It's like the, the two kids that's, in the back seat and one of them puts their hand just across the other <laughs> one's side. That's just part of it. I mean, you got to, you just, have to subvert expectations. That is going to be maybe a theme tonight. <laughs> Today, currently this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I butchered that. That's fine. Anyways, moving forward. Before we jump all the way forward into subverting the expectations, that is Knives Out. But not we, really subverting expectations because we're going to review the movie. So we Well, but did you have expectations prior to that? I don't know. Did the listeners have expectations they could. prior you to that? You don't this? know. You don't know who they are. <laughs> Anyways, before we get all the way into that, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about maybe some, some single location stories because that fits with uh, the setting for Knives Out, for most of Knives Out. Yeah. Or the predominant storytelling that takes place. Mm -hmm. I'd say like over 75% of whatever we're talking about needs to take place in relatively one location. Yeah. So we're talking kind of like your your classic trapped in a house horror stories or or your – But we're we're not actually talking that because none of us really watch horror. Or or like a a whodunit and everybody's trapped in this one location on a boat or in a house when it's, you know, storming Mm -hmm. or something. And they have to figure out who the murderer is. Wild shenanigans. Or, or, you know, someone stranded on a desert island for the entire film of Castaway, you know, that kind of thing. Right. We're not yeah. doing Castaway, but that one started in a plane, sir. Anyways, <laughs> the mo- most of the film takes know, place on I the know, island. I know. He goes in the ocean, too. Joel, you oh, want to start I'm, us off? I'm starting. All right. Well, so, I mean, I don't want to start us. I don't want Andrew to start us. Well, wow, rude. I'm going to start us in that case. All right. And I'm going to go with an Agatha Christie novel mm-hmm. uh, called And Then There Were None. Okay. Uh, this is sort of a, a twist on a classic whodunit where it's really sort of a mystery m- dipping into kind of more of the serial killer thriller kind of kind of genre. Okay. And where you have all of these people that don't know each other are all invited to a, an estate out on an island just off the coast of New England. You know, okay. I, I don't remember if this is off the Massachusetts coast or or if it's or off of Maine well, or some somewhere New, up there. New England is generally just Massachusetts. And the way that it is kind of couched is that, you know, this is this is a prestigious event that they're being invited to, but as they all come, they realize that all of them have no idea why they're there. Right. Whereas yeah. Whereas they all thought they were the only one. And um, they start dying and are, are being specifically murdered in accordance with a nursery rhyme um, that has oh, that, that starts with 10 subjects and each one has a verse of how they're killed. Oh, and that's wonderful. how that's how each murder occurs. And so <laughs> ergo the title and then there were none. Okay. And uh, so they the protagonists have to discover who the killer is and what's going on before time runs out and they too are on the chopping block. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Never, I've never heard of this one before. It's, it's quite enjoyable. Okay. I'm only sort of familiar with, you know, the, the obvious Agatha Christie's your murder on the Orient Express, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Not, not as familiar with something yeah. like this. And th- this one doesn't have any of her recognizable characters. Right. This There's is no, a, this no, is a one-off. no Poirot. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I denied Andrew the privilege of going first. I'm going to deny him the privilege of going second and bestow upon him the privilege of going last. 
So in that case, I'm going to take my shot, and it is 1985's Clue. So this is a film. And a board game. Well, it's based on the board game. <laughs> it's based on the board the game. The board game That's came it. way before the movie. Yes. I said it's based on the, it has, if it's going to be based on the board game, the board game had to come before the movie. Uh, the it, could, it could be a concurrent release. Anyways. <laughs> it could be a promotional advertisement for the game. Anyways. <laughs> so, similar, very similar to Joel's entry, we have a cast of characters who are invited to a remote house in a stormy location, and none of them realize that they have all also been invited there for the specific purpose, which is everyone is being blackmailed by one other person at the house. And yeah, hijinks ensue because people kind of start dying off. And it's just, it's really just a really fun, I know I just, oh, they're dying off. It's really fun. (laughs) Uh, It's a really fun and entertaining movie because they do a really good job with the humor mixed in. Mm -hmm. Uh, your, Your kind of headliner names here, Tim Curry. Yep. Not as a villain. But as kind of the host, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd's in here is one of he, the. He's still kind of creepy characters. though. He just he just has that oily feel yeah. to him, but he's not technically the villain. But there is a lot of misdirection because again, someone dies, and then people continue to die despite their best attempts of oh, we should all group up. Oh, a cop has arrived. Oh, this is going on. Oh, blah blah. We should search the house, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it gets progressively more. They can become more blasé about oh well, quick. Check the the study. Nope, two bodies. Everything's fine in there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> things like that. So the the humor in it is really really good. Uh, it didn't do great when it was released in box offices, partly because when it was released in films, it was really, it was released with three separate endings. Mm-hmm. So depending on where you were, you got a different ending. And this is pre internet, so you couldn't get together and decide. Oh, this is how these things could be. So everyone was just kind of mad at each other because they all disagreed <laughs> on how it actually ended. Who yeah, did it? I think that's so cool, though. Right. Nowadays, it sounds awesome. And if you actually have the DVD, it'll do all three endings. Boom, boom, boom. And it oh. does like a little kind of like a silent film screen in between where it's like, that's one way it could happen. But what about this? Yeah. Actually, you should consider this as well and stuff like that in between. Uh, but yeah, really great humor. It's a really, really entertaining film. Uh, I mean, it has, you know, just something that doesn't give anything away, but. Christopher Lloyd's character picks up another one of the other characters whose car is broken down and they pull up to the house and it does the classic horror movie, you know, house of the wet and the lightning strikes Mm -hmm. and the car dies. And she goes, why'd you turn off the car? Because I didn't, it died. I think it's scared. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the line. I butchered it, but it's okay. Anyways, Andrew. Okay. So I picked an anime go figure right oh, this yeah. is just how it works doing your job yep and uh so i picked the 2015 series called death parade and okay. uh, the general synopsis of this is let's say that you are a arbiter of good and evil and you are essentially a bartender at the same time and whenever someone dies um they come to you and you essentially make them play um death games that will uh, essentially determine whether they go be res- resurrected or eternal damnation. Okay. So, so wait, are death games kind of like reindeer games? Are we talking like Monopoly or? Um, most of the time it's going to be like, it's simple, like children's game level stuff. Where Monopoly. It's e- easy to understand, um, <laughs> but Monopoly. there is some decent uh, strategy behind it. Okay. And um, throughout the course of the show, you're going to see multiple people that kind of come down and the main characters um, are really just these arbiters that are kind of they're neutral parties and mm-hmm. they just they they basically um, provide the game and the people just have to play it. And um, and throughout the course of the game, you get to see lots of, um, uh, you know, kind of like one why they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some like little mystery elements of like there's, you know, a couple that both died at the same time, but then you kind of find out that one of them killed the other one, but mm-hmm. then other stuff kind of happened yeah. at the same mm-hmm. time. So you get, you get in a little, uh, so like the story structure is just m- almost a montage of other people's stories coming through your location. Yep. So, so it has a bunch of kind of little vignettes. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, um, uh, so you actually get some really interesting character work and it never delves too deep into a, a, every single character, except right. for the main characters. Cause you get to see, more vignettes of their life and everything as it kind of goes through the show, but in very small little tidbits. 
of just how they react to how these people are also reacting kind right, of thing. Right, right. Okay. And um, it's a fantastic show, and it does a really good job at um, uh, the games change. It's not always the same. You know, it's like you're not always playing paper, rock, scissors or something. But um, And it, it just kind of changes based on um, what they were, what they kind of died from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and it kind of relates to their A little story. bit, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's um, it's a pretty fantastic show. Uh, I definitely recommend it. It's only 12 episodes, pretty easy watch. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it all takes place just basically in this, uh, not purgatory, because it's not like a punishment, because they, they are having the opportunity to possibly go back mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. live another life, essentially. Um, so it's just like this little middle ground that's just, you know, and, and, and it all takes place within the, uh, uh, the skin of just, you know, being a cool swaggy bartender and you're just, you know, making people play these crazy games. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I recommend but, it. Yeah. That sounds cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I have not heard of it prior to this. So. Yeah. And it, it, it's got a good emotional payoff at the end. So. Okay. Yeah. That, that sounds pretty good to me. Well, on that note, it is time for us to focus back on the main topic, Knives Out. And we're going to go over to Joel for maybe a little synopsis, All if right. you will. So here we kind of have our classic whodunit sort of scenario. We have um, a, a novelist who is advanced in years, who has a kind of a live-in nurse, um, Marta, who's our main character. Mm-hmm. And uh, this novelist is discovered one morning dead in his study, uh, ostensibly by his own hand. Right. And uh, however, the police are continuing to investigate in a way that doesn't seem to match up with the physical evidence. And uh, we we learned that a a uh, gentleman detective kind of your your stand in for the the Poirot or, or Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes right. type has received an anonymous tip and has come in to figure out exactly what's going on here and um a lot of um expectation is perhaps subverted and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh shenanigans ensue oh we want shenanigans this time getting a little highbrow instead of hijinks there you go. Yeah. Like that. Okay. Well, on that note, what kind of scores did we give this? Now, we look at this from two angles. The first is what we consider a technical score, and we're looking at our four pillars of review, that being the spectacle, the performance, the score, and the plot, and then separately, an entertainment score that does not factor in. So this is all average across the three of us. Mm-hmm. So for that first, that technical score, what we got? We got a 7.8 out of 10. That is respectable. Yep. Quite quite good. Yeah. Yep. That, it beats the No Way Home bar. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it beats No Way Home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that, that, that's like the, the minimum reference at this point. Yeah. I think that was the 7.3. Okay. So that's, yeah. a, that's a pretty good, it, it's just a little better than the C bar, basically. <laughs> 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 Makes it sound so bad. <laughs> Average isn't great. Just going to throw that out there. Anyways. By definition, you are correct. Technically correct. Which is the best kind of correct. There However, right. for entertainment, <laughs> as those two can be wildly different, we find in this case it is in fact not. It goes up an entire two-tenths of a point from a 7.8 to an 8.0 for entertainment. So it does improve. It gains something in that switch. And the main reason we look at an entertainment score as a separate score is there could be something that is technically bad, but you just really love it. Yep. Or there could be something that is technically brilliant and it is just really boring. And we think it's important to make that distinction because sometimes the score can be wildly different. It often isn't, I guess, because of us, but well, so that's, goes. That's not necessarily true. I mean, like there are definitely films that we've that we've already reviewed, like Turning Red is one of them where, Mm -hmm. you know, I genuinely love the film. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys didn't. I mean, Mm -hmm. and that's totally fine. It's just, you know, I gave it, I think, like maybe a nine and then you guys gave it like sixes, I think, or something like that. But we could definitely recognize it as well done technically. Mm -hmm. And it just normally, it does feel like we're we're usually fairly close in Mm -hmm. technical and entertainment. We have had some. Particularly once the average occurs. Right. But we have had some that have gone a little bit out of Mm -hmm. line. Yeah. Those are other episodes on spoilersintendedpodcast.com. You can listen in on them. <laughs> Find out which ones. Okay, so guys. So the free review. Yeah, Knives Out. This is the second time I've seen this film. Um, and 
I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it is definitely, you know, knowing the twists that are coming mm-hmm. um, definitely take a lot of the oomph out of a, of a mystery. That's kind of the whole point. Sure. Right. Uh, and I was watching it by myself this time, so I didn't have anyone else to kind of live vicariously through that hadn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. Oh, you get to see them have the experience. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you know, watching it this time, you're re- you're really more trying to focus on the smaller details of whenever they show, you know, little cutaway shots or anything mm-hmm. like that, where you're like, oh, yeah, that's what they referenced towards, like, you know, later in the movie mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, it's still an entertaining film. Um, I really liked, um, I really like Daniel Craig just as an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most of the time, whenever he's in a film, I'm going to go watch it. And uh, this is definitely um, one of those films where I enjoyed pretty much the entire cast of characters. They have a, a pretty star-studded Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot uh, of names. Cast. You have Anna Darmus as Marta, then you have Daniel Craig as Blunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the, the detective. The detective. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. you have uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's um, the daughter of the deceased mm-hmm. uh, book writer. And, uh, you know, just a cacophony of other characters, and they're always really fun. And it's also, you know, like in a whodunit kind of scenario, you really have to plant your your field with a whole bunch of possible murderers yeah. right mm-hmm. so you have you to, need have, to a, have a lot of red a herrings. lot of motives going on of of people having conflict and stuff and this this film just like everybody related to the murder victim is just absolutely horrible to everybody else so yeah. like <laughs> yeah they're all terrible at, people at every moment you're like yeah that person could commit murder i i totally I, believe I would, that. <laughs> I, yep, I would believe it in a heartbeat yeah yeah, the um, uh, the thing that I really like about the film, too, is the cinematography is actually pretty solid. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, interesting shots and they're, the locale that they're at, which is this kind of um, manor in Norfolk, which is probably um, Virginia or Massachusetts, because there's two. There's, yeah, I would, at least two. I would lean towards Massachusetts I over think Virginia. It would, yeah. And if it's from Norfolk, Massachusetts, then that is where I'm from. Well, I'm from Natick, but it's basically right, right next, next to it. Right next to it, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, it's it it's billed as kind of a waspy New England, so I would say Massachusetts. Over. Yeah. I, while you talk, I will figure that out. Yeah, confirm that for us. <laughs> okay, brilliant. So, unlike Andrew, uh, this is the first time I've seen this film. Uh, I have a objection to the director a little bit, maybe, or have, or at least had one. Uh, it's 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 decent. It's pretty good. You know, there there are some things I liked, some things that were maybe just okay. <laughs> Uh, the characters are good that you know, yes. you, you need. You need strong characters for a whodunit. Well, you need performances and you need everyone to really sell themselves as an individual. Mm-hmm. And I think they did a great job of that. Mm-hmm. And also, again, like you all said, you have to seed the field with multiple possibilities and there needs to be conflict of interest there where they could all have a reason for it. It's Massachusetts. Nailed it. Yep. And, you know, they do a good job. There's a lot going on and that may also be an objection. There may be too much going on, especially at the start. They kind of throw a ton at you. Mm-hmm. And I think the rest of the movie maybe hurts a little for that because the middle kind of drags. You don't get the whole pieces coming together as you thought they were going. Not I, I won't even say as you thought they were going to, but you get to see, you already have all the pieces at that point and they just don't really come together very fast. Well, it's it's also, and, and not to trying to skirt spoilers here, right. but it is, it is structured in a way that is different from your typical who Correct. Yes. And so while on the one hand that makes it a fresh experience, if you are, you know, if you've seen a lot of whodunits, then mm-hmm. this is, oh, this is, this isn't the same formula that I'm used to. So yeah. it's kind of fresh and new and different and interesting in that way. Uh, but it, I could see where if you're, if you're, if you like the formula and you want the formula and you're expecting the formula, this, this is not that. Well, and I, I feel like it wasn't so much that, oh, I already solved who did it. It just almost from the beginning was like, okay, well, I know how this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. And that made it kind of boring because then I just had to sit there and wait for it to actually play out roughly how I thought it would. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, you know, I mean, that's just a personal issue. Joel? Uh, well, I, I think that one of the best parts is watching the detective go around and interact with everybody, right? right. Because mm-hmm. he's playing kind of the quintessential Southern gentleman. Mm-hmm. And it's also, so I have, <laughs> I have an objection 
to Daniel Craig's accent. In this I, I let film, you have this one. Yeah. Right. And it is such a very thick over the top Southern accent. And, and I, I can't decide whether, whether or not I want to back my objection completely because on the one hand, thick over the top Southern accents, there are real people who speak like this. Yes. Right. But when used in film, typically it, feels, it is used in a derogatory fashion. Yeah, it feels more right? derogatory than it does genuine. And but in this case, they gave that accent to the smartest character in the piece. And so <laughs> you're like, what? Do I really feel bad about this representation in this instance? I'm not sure. <laughs> Even though it carries with it the connotation of all of the derogatory representation right. yeah, from and, other and, pieces. And um, he is from an un, basically an undisclosed location in the U.S. It could, um, you know, there are some derogatory terms in the film that are like, oh, you're from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He's not from Kentucky. He's probably from Louisiana or maybe Mississippi, but they never actually tell that. You just yeah. have to kind of pick up the clues, right. as it will, from his name and his general accent. But the the demeanor that they give him where he's he's the, the extremely polite gentleman. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, interacting with the different um, characters at play and seeing what actually pushes him across the line into being <laughs> stern and derogatory as opposed mm-hmm. to just being nauseatingly polite, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and so getting to watch those interactions across the whole film was probably the most charming part of the piece. Yeah. Well, especially him being the Southern gentleman in basically New England or the North, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the Northeast, which is um, historically not... Um, southern nice. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, it, or, um, you know, it, it, you just don't have the, um, uh, uh, what's, what's the word for it? I don't know. Southern, um, hospitality. Hosp- hospitality. Ah, there it easy. is. <laughs> uh, so you, you have this very large juxtaposition of him, the southern gentleman, and nowhere near hosp- hospitable environment for right, him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was definitely an outsider on multiple levels. Yeah. Uh, as the, Detective who is trying to find something wrong, also as a southern gentleman in a very New England waspy style mm-hmm. house, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. he definitely has a unwanted aspect there from the rest of the cast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think the movie is very good and I think it's very well put together. Um, upon the second viewing, I'm not sure that I would recommend viewing it multiple times unless you're with other people that have not seen it before. So you think the real payoff is having I think that, the real, that initial reaction? Yeah, I think the real payoff is like, ooh, oh, you know, like mm-hmm. like watching the stuff kind of happen and unfold, where watching the second time, I really wasn't that impressed with the film, which is kind of weird because I loved it the first time I watched it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think like you were saying before, though, like the entire mystery genre has that problem. It does. It does. Because the point of consuming the story is getting the twist. So. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of watching it with other people that yeah. haven't seen it definitely in elevates that because then you can watch vicariously through them. You're like, oh, you should watch this movie. It's really good. And you yeah. can kind of like side eye watch them. Yeah. They, well, <laughs> well, or if you're on a rewatch, there are so many clues that were laid out that on knowing where it's going to go and you can pay more attention to stuff happening in the background. You can mm-hmm. be like, oh, I missed that. That would have told me or this piece if it's really well. Yeah. And, and this one, they basically hold all of the the general footage of stuff happening and basically until right at the end Mm -hmm. which that's a classic whodunit move they gave you some of the uh you shouldn't be able to know this stuff like right towards the end of the beginning yeah Mm -hmm. that kind of set you into the middle path and that i i again not holding all that to the end maybe also kind of hurt it i don't know yeah but that's okay all righty that sounds like we are moving on to the intermission If even the thought of spoilers makes you want to be sick, then this is your chance to get away clean. But before you go, check out our other content at spoilersintendedpodcast.com. But if you're ready to see what lies at the inevitable conclusion of this story's arc, then come and join us. Together, we'll find out what's at the center of the donut. Is it a hole? Or is it yet another donut? Alrighty, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that quick little intermission. In case you didn't get the message, it is all spoilers all the time, all the way forward. 
And on that note, it is time to jump into the spectacle. Yep. And I'm going to let Andrew have this one first. I swear, I get a spectacle first basically every time. Well, you don't, if you don't want it, I'll give it to Joel. No, no, no. I'll take it. Oh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> hey, he's going to complain about it. Like, no, no, no. I actually, I still want it. Uh, so I gave spectacle an eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that the the film, um, particularly Ryan Johnson, um, despite some of the, the general misgivings that um, the Star Wars population of fan base does not like him mm-hmm. for various reasons well, some, a, a significant portion not the whole family yeah 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 like half it's you're like about, it's pretty much half. like right down the middle yeah. um they they do not enjoy his directorial style for things that they love okay that's fine we're gonna move on um but i actually every other thing that i've seen that he's done um i've actually really enjoyed mm-hmm. so he did three episodes of breaking bad which is uh, one of my one of my favorite that's tv one of shows the best tv shows ever basically yeah pretty much um, and he did, um, he did two, two considered the best or worst episodes, just depends on who you ask. Um, so he did the <laughs> fly, which is considered quotation marks, a filler episode of Breaking Bad, where they're just trying to catch a fly in the laboratory for the entire episode. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was either hated or loved. Just that's, depends. that's the kind of episode that can be just amazing though. Yeah, it was fantastic. Right. I loved it. Then you have Ozymandias, which was, um, kind of the penultimate, uh, ultimate climax for the show like the series Mm -hmm. as a whole in season five and it's probably one of the best episodes of tv ever made okay and and he directed and it's fantastic well on that note we're talking about knives out well yeah yeah (laughs) no i'm getting there um so then you have knives out and uh, watching it he does such a really good job at um visual um composition Mm -hmm. uh he he does and he and i love that basically he takes, um, you know, he ha- you have this big kind of ring of knives all pointing to a specific point in the center. The basically, donut. Basically where someone's head would be if they're sitting in that chair. Exactly. Yeah. And throughout the film, he has people sitting in front of it, but he never does a straight on shot until the, the kind of the aha moment for uh, Daniel Craig's character um, towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he always hints at it. He's always like a little canted or he's on the side of it, but everyone's still sitting in front of it, but not until... Daniel Craig is in, is sitting in that chair is when you get the the power shot of of basically all of the knives and and Daniel Craig's head is directly in the middle of it, mm-hmm. which is just fantastic. And mm-hmm. and the rest of the I mean it's it's shot very competently, and um, yeah, I mean it's it's just a and it does a really good job at keeping the tension, mm-hmm. uh, especially whenever they're doing match shots from, um, basically when they're kind of re recalling the the story of Marta giving um. Um, uh, the old man, his, his Harlan, medi- Harlan, Harlan, Harlan yeah. uh, his medicine. And then they basically flip it to the other, basically the other angle where the lady comes up and like knocks on the door and sees mm-hmm. if they're okay. That kind of thing. Yeah, Joni. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember half of the characters names. Just going to say that. I, I actually remember most of them, but I also wrote them down. So it helps. Yeah. So Joel. Uh, well, I also gave it an eight for okay. a spectacle. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, the opening shot of the film, is where you get this really moody look at the mansion. Mm-hmm. And there's this really striking kind of bizarre music. We're just. <laughs> you know. it's, it's almost the, the classic horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stretch. And, and then you have the dogs kind of slow-mo running across the mm-hmm. yard. And it's just like a mood is being set here. I am being prepped for the experience that I am about to have. Mm-hmm. Right. And anytime that a director can reach out and say, okay, I want you, the audience to be sitting right here. Okay. Now we can start the, <laughs> the film. That's, I like that. Right. Uh, there, there's also, you know, we, we talk about subversion of expectation with Ryan Johnson because that's kind of a buzzword coming off of all of the arguments surrounding Star the Wars. Star Wars film, right? Well, I mean, I feel like at this point I could just kind of maybe say maybe it's his shtick. Yeah. And, this and, is second go at it. Basically. But, yeah. but this but this film is rife with examples of how you do that really well. Uh, it's successful, yeah. Yeah. Like like and and also like right coming off of the opening shot, you have the housekeeper coming up and trying to find Harlan to give him his breakfast, right? Mm-hmm. And she comes in to his his study and finds him dead on the couch. And and what you expect, what you have been programmed to expect through repeated exposure is that the housekeeper screams, drops the tray, 
and the plates and cups shatter on the floor. Yeah, right? right. And so she goes to do it and then catches the tray because it's starting to wobble. She's like, <laughs> oh, no. And then she just curses at herself and, and kind of, you know, collects everything. See, yep. And so I actually thought she spilled the coffee on herself. Oh, she really? Cursed. Yeah, but but I have to rewatch. I've only seen it once. I have to rewatch it. But but anyway, so like it's it's a really fun thing where the expectation is not inherent to the situation. The expectation is in you. Right. And Usually the shot at that point drops to the housekeeper's feet and mm-hmm. you see the tray shatter and yeah. you hear the scream over top and it fades to black, right? Yeah. And they have a they have a, a a close-up shot of the dagger that has the blood on it on the carpet. And maybe like right. a fragment of what was just shattered is yeah. next to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a classic play right there. And so by not doing that, he has both done it because you already see all of that in your mm-hmm. mind mm-hmm. and been able to give you a little bit of a little stab of humor because, oh, he didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so that was like there are little moments like that. Okay. Yeah. And wow. he just he just repeats those throughout the film to uh, to kind of hammer home. It's like, oh, you know, this trope. Uh, nope. So close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK. Well, I am a firm believer in parity and I also gave it an eight. All right. Yep. <laughs> And for a lot of the similar reasons, you know, like Andrew said, the, the composition, and I, I do like the teaser he does with that, where you know you're going to get this shot at some point, but he mm-hmm. doesn't just open with it. Yeah, he does, you, don't, you don't just get it. Well, and he plays with it because some of the interviews that are happening in front of the Donut of Knives is, are shot from one side of it, like the, the right side mm-hmm. angle, and the other is shot from the left side. So you're, you're hitting either side of that spacing, but yeah. you just don't get quite that perfect full on. And that was, I like that. That was a fun play, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they made a good use of some dolly zoom style shots mm-hmm. that are kind of the classic Jaws move, which I, I, I on one level, I want to say, oh, that's worth points. On another level, I want to say, no, that's like the bare minimum. If you didn't do it, it would have been points off because this this is so necessary for a tense yeah. style, right? Mm-hmm. When, you, when you have a mystery, you have to find, you have to have interesting characters. You have to have, one, a good plot, but then you also need to have interesting camera angles to create tension in dialogue scenes or dialogue heavy scenes. Right. And Joel talking about the tray at the start, right? Mm-hmm. You get from the start, we've already got an interesting camera angle because we get slow-mo dogs, which is just kind of random, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and then we get the tray being set up and it's a very, very style, stylish, classy breakfast tray. Like a Victorian yeah, or like a Tudor. You know, guilt. Gold, and then the coffee cup goes on there, and it's just a standard run of the mill. This would be on, you know, your coworker's desk, yeah, style, yeah. you know, funny saying on it. So that was already kind of the twist, even before you get up the steps. Uh, the house was really cool. I really liked the way they would focus on kind of the bizarre decorations mm-hmm. and kind of like it's a very eclectic place. You know, old 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 man who's been here a long time. You know, writes, you know, murder mystery novels but kind of bizarre stories or whatnot his weird castle yeah and he's just been collecting (laughs) this over time and these things just exist and everyone else accepts it but you as the newcomer are looking around going like man there is just this house that's just got eyes everywhere and speaking of like you know the decor there's also the prominently featured uh, portrait of harlan himself that you keep coming back to throughout the film and Mm -hmm. every time you look at it you have new context as to maybe his relationship with his family or what actually happened that night. Mm-hmm. And each time, even though it's the same painting, I'm sure that his expression is just a little different well, because I have, <laughs> I have more context about him as a person. A, yeah. a lot of it is because it's, it's different members of the family who are looking at the portrait. Yeah. And so you're kind of getting their impression of how do they view their father and how their father views them. Because as we go through the story, we get more and more of that, those different relationships. Yeah. And so, it's the same thing of the eyes that track you. It's the same expression. It just has more meaning every time you see it. Yeah. So, so yeah, obviously we all gave it eights. Pretty, pretty yeah. decent. Mm-hmm. So let's go on to something else that is also pretty decent. Yep. And it's the performance. Mm-hmm. Joel, Joel, you can start. No, he doesn't. No, I'm going to go first. Joel, you can start. Yeah, fine. Joel, <laughs> okay, start. fine. Uh, well, I gave performance <laughs> a nine. Okay. Uh, I was, I, I really don't have a lot of complaints. There is, there's the uneasy feeling about Daniel Craig's accent. Right. And beyond that, it's just, you know, you have such a large cast of characters mm-hmm. and all of them have a relatively small amount of time to really make their impression. And I would say that all of the adult actors and actresses pulled that off flawlessly. There, there are some, some, you know, teenage 
members of the family. We get two of them, I think. Yeah, that are just kind of eh, they're there. They're 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 not not masterfully portrayed, but you don't necessarily expect that. They're very of, much so side side character yeah, stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but overall it's just a, a masterclass in, we need to get characterization out there pronto and we, we need to make it stick. Archetypes, archetypes, archetypes. And, and I, I think that they managed to add each, each individual performer Mm -hmm. managed to add their flair to it. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to take this next. Sure. Go ahead. Give you a shot at last. Uh, I also gave it a nine. Uh, yeah, Daniel Craig's accent gives me pause. Any any <laughs> Southern accent on screen gives me pause. Uh, and yeah, I, I would agree. The teenagers are probably I I don't know the 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 male teenager is probably the weakest because he's just kind of there as a joke basically. Yeah, yeah. The the I don't know who the the actors are for these, but the female one she actually has real interactions and parts, line real things to say basically. Yeah. Uh, I really liked Jamie Lee Curtis's effort. Mm-hmm. And I really, I think they did a really good job with the style of a whodunit where they have the interviews to start and everyone, you get to be introduced to each character as they would describe themselves. Yes. As opposed to how other people see them. And it's a chance for these, the actors to really show off, right? To really, really hammer home who this person is and why they're different than the other people in the house. Yeah. And, and really how you're going to keep track of them throughout the movie. Yeah. Andrew? Uh, so I actually, I was, uh, considerably harsher, um, because of Daniel Craig's, um, <laughs> accent <laughs> and, um, I gave it a seven. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, okay. so okay, I initially had it at a nine and then as I was writing the review, I went down to an eight and then I was like, Mm-mm, I don't know. I think it needs to be a seven. <laughs> um, mostly, I mean, his accent was a little ridiculous. Um, but honestly, the, um, Jamie Lee Curtis and, um, Anna Diarmas was fantastic. I mm-hmm. thought they did such mm-hmm. a good job, um, with their roles. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and she, Jamie Lee Curtis was one of the only characters that like she, she didn't really, ha- I mean, she had quotation marks a reason that she could like possibly like murder her um, father, her father, but she was never really in any kind of actual suspicion mm-hmm. because like she, she was a crass businesswoman, but not in the sense of, um, of her like having any kind of real motive. Right. Well, yeah, well she was, she was the one golden child. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then you have at the end, you know, where she, she has, she finds the the blank letter and then mm-hmm. she sees the, um, the, or she, the heat writing or whatever, the hidden uh, invisible ink. Yeah. yeah. Well, she talks about the games that yeah. her and her father played. Right. Which at the time you think is metaphorical. Right. Yeah. And, and like there's the special way he communicated. And you're just like, oh, yeah. He just like talked to you. A, a weird right? way. Or she, yeah. Or she's yeah. just full of it, like trying to be the special. Exactly. Right. But yeah. no, right. then it actually is. But, but oh, they were just trading the invisible ink messages. That's yeah. because they're yeah. quirky. And yeah. it's just, yeah. Uh, so, but the, the thing that actually kind of detracted it from me was um, Chris Evans, um, I felt didn't really do a good very good job with being quotation marks as the villain. Like oh, he, I thought he was a good heel actually. He, he plays a very good heel and he plays a very good, um, uh, jilted child, mm-hmm. um, for, from the family trust fund baby. Uh, yeah. But I feel that there could have been anything else. I, I don't know. Like he just didn't really do it for me. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it probably doesn't help either that he was the first, real suspect that you had and then he ended up just being the one that that did stuff well i feel like that was kind of on purpose because like they want you when whenever you're writing this kind of thing and you're not doing it in the (laughs) in the time-honored tradition of well it i'm going to write it as if it could be any one of these and i'm just going to pick one at the end right but if you have a plan from the onset then one way to attempt to do it is to make sure that your audience takes a look at the person that actually does it and then dismisses them as a red herring mm-hmm. so that when you reveal that it was them all along, they're like, oh, you got me. Well, at some point you have to make the audience like the character and they did make an yeah. attempt at that midway through. Well, so the problem though is, and and this is more of a, um, you you see this a lot with TV and, and anime and everything of whenever you have side characters and then the side character suddenly gets an, a, a, almost a whole like like 20 or 30 minutes worth of screen time yeah. in the course of over an episode, you're like, they're either going to die 
or they're going to be the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was Narr- ex- narratively, we're spending too much time here. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you, when you start having lopsided amounts of, um, uh, of screen time for single characters, you're like, there's no way they're not involved at this point. It mm. is, it is very difficult to hide what you're doing from a narrative structure perspective. It is. It is right. so hard because once someone is familiar with the patterns of how things mm-hmm. play out in this kind of story, I don't care how many <laughs> expectations you subvert. There are rules that you have that, to kind of that follow. you have to follow to some extent or else the story just doesn't make sense. Exactly. And that this is more plot things, yeah. but um, but kind of going back the basically the more that we got of Chris Evans character or ransom, it was just kind of like, I know this is where, where this is going. And you need to do something more with this this guy to make him way more um, uh, likable as a person, mm-hmm. and they just never really did anything with it. Okay, yeah, that's so. that's that's fair. That's valid. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, sorry. One quick note the 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 help um, or the the secondary detective, um, not the main one that uh-huh. did a lot of the talking, but the one that was really into all like the mystery oh, novels yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Trooper Wagner. Yeah. He was so much fun uh-huh. yeah. because uh, like he was like, especially at the end, whenever um, the other detectives was like, come on, let's just get on with this. He's like, no, 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 wait, this is the best part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, where he explains how everything happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was uncertain where to put it and it may be more relevant later, but coming from Ryan Johnson's other efforts, the humor in this was much better than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. It's much better placed. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's good quippy dialogue. Right. Yeah. It, it, it hit and then moved on, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do want to throw a, a shout out to uh, Kay Callen, who was a great Nana. She didn't really have much to do, <laughs> uh-huh. but at the same time, she was a great uh, foil mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, just just who she, but just by existing, especially the, the dialogue they get described, like, no one's really sure how old she is. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well, I love at the, uh, the end after um, they all kind of, are having the meltdown because they're not going to inherit anything. Mm-hmm. And she's just sitting in the middle of them. And then the, the scene cuts right before or right after she goes, huh. yeah. yeah, she has a little <laughs> laugh. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was good. It was, it was well, whether we, you would count that more maybe in plot a little later yeah. or not, but I think it was well-placed going, just kind of pegging off the humor. Mm-hmm. So moving forward into the score of the score, the score of the score. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take it first and go short and simple here. Sure. I gave it a seven. Yeah. Uh, I think it did a good job of build, good, did a good job of building tension. Mm-hmm. And I think it had some good emotional payoff in places. Mm-hmm. But for me, at least, there was no individual piece that really stuck with me. The the opening um, sweeping shot of the of the estate was pretty pretty cool, mm-hmm. but it was they never really replicated that throughout. The right, rest it didn't of the, it didn't get a callback or, or mm-hmm. however you want to call it later in the the show to really or the movie to really hammer it home. Right, it's still a show. It's same thing. <laughs> Anyways, that that's all. I don't want to steal points around here. So I gave it I a got. seven for basically the exact same thing. See, easy. Oh, well, I gave it an eight for, I mean, essentially. Justify yourself. <laughs> essentially the same, but I, I felt that while the specifics of the music in the opening shot were not referenced again, the the general feeling of just kind of being quirky mm-hmm. um, was carried through as a through line. And, yeah, that's fair. And so that that elevated it to me mm-hmm. because it it grabbed hold of the feeling of what it wanted to be and it stuck true to that. All right. That's, it, it had a consistent tone. Yeah. Um, sorry, this is going to just go right back to performance for a second. Um, uh, Anna Diarmas and um, I can't remember the the father's name. Um, Harlan? Harlan. Harlan. Yeah. Christopher um, Plummer? Yes, Christopher Plummer. Um, they they had such fantastic chemistry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They yeah, were they great. Like, yeah, we didn't touch on that, but they were great. Yeah, together. you could tell um, just in all like the little flashback scenes that that she had with him you could definitely tell that they had really good on-screen chemistry and you could feel that like they were actually just genuine friends. Mm-hmm. Well, every inter- other interaction for Harlan was him having to be the father, the, father. the stern father, whereas with her, he could just be himself. And right? there's no expectations at yeah, all. Exactly. It's just, you know, it's like, well, I'm your nurse and I'm here, but at the same time, like, I, I, I'm going to genuinely listen to you and, mm-hmm. and give you feedback if you ask for it. Yeah, and I'm just an old man being doing an old man thing, you yep. know? No. Okay. Well, we've revisited performance, but we gave our <laughs> score scores. 
moving forward into the plot, possibly the most important part of any whodunit. It is the most important part of any whodunit. Who wants to take it first? I'll go. All right. We'll probably start low. Go go low to high. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so uh, I gave it a six. Okay. Um, Mostly just because um, of just, I could, you could see it from a mile away that Chris Evans' character was just going to be the bad guy because they just gave him so much screen time compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And by the the only other one that was even even kind of close was the um uh the not uh, the the son? Yeah, the that ran the ran the Walt. Uh, Walt mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That the ran son. the publishing the one, house. The one with the cane. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was the only other one that could like possibly be kind of close, but then, you know, there's just already so many other things that that just pushed him out of the running of well, being the murderer. I, mm-hmm. I really wish they had highlighted the concept of, oh, they climbed the trellis. Well, Walt's out because he has a broken leg or whatever. Yeah. And well, and that's the problem, too, is because they essentially sidelined Chris Evans character for the first half of the film. And then he just kind of shows up and is like, oh, guess what? Now he's just going to be on screen for the next forever for the, for the mm-hmm. rest of the yeah. film. It's like there's no way that one, he's not involved and two, like he's the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the only thing that you're really trying to figure out is like, all right, how is he the bad guy from from the sense? And then I also felt sorry, I'll you'll, you'll get one. I also <laughs> felt <hell>. that the <laughs> uh that basically the switch and then the double switch of like, well, she just made an honest honest mistake. And if it was any other night, then she would have killed him regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, but then because Chris Evans switched it or ransom switched it. And then she messed up. Like it just, it feels well, she, too she, coincidental. Well, the point was that she never messed up. Well, no, is that she she, she looked she at know, the yeah. she looked at the liquid instead of the label. Well, it was how she held. It was yeah. how, the feel of it in her hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like I I totally get that, and that's that's absolutely fine. And you know, she she was a good person, and she just did whatever her instinct was. But the it just it I guess it just felt too coincidental for me. It's okay. okay. I have other objections to. Continue. All of these things. So I'm a little kinder than Andrew. Mm-hmm. Like we said, low to high. I gave it a seven. Okay. Only one point. It's Only one point. It's not, <laughs> it's not significant, but it's, it's a little difference. Okay. So we'll just look at the morphine, right? And we can be really nitpicky and just be like, hey, they don't let you get vials of something that you can pull an overdose amount from you get vials that are less than an overdose, period. Like, that's just what you would be issued. So you just can't pull that amount from this vial because it just wouldn't have that amount because it's a deadly amount. Like, that's just really basic medical stuff. That's nitpicky. We can be less picky and we can go to the end of the movie where we find out that Ransom went and saw Fran at 8 a.m., injected her with an unknown amount of morphine, but enough to kill her. And then left her there for two hours and she made it all the way to the hospital and before she was dead, potentially almost survived. Whereas Harlan just accepted his death was imminent within the next 10 minutes, which isn't how this type of overdose works. And the nurse should understand that, hey, even if it takes the ambulance 30 minutes to get here and we get you to the hospital, there's still a high percentage chance you survive. That felt horribly contrived for the whole run of it of just, well, I've just accepted my death. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get it. You know, he's murder mystery novelist, a little quirky, a little weird. You know, maybe he's just decided, oh, I've lived a good. Maybe this is just what he really wanted to do. He's like, well, I, I finally have my my excuse to kill myself. <laughs> this I don't is my know. out. Yeah, but they just they didn't really justify it very well. And then the whole well, ransom definitely guaranteed there there was at least close to a two hour gap between Fran being injected with. Again, we don't know how much, but enough to kill her. So it took that amount of time even to get her to the hospital and then for them to be back at the mansion interviewing hours later before she dies right well it kind of you don't you don't get you don't get told someone's dead right away like no but like there's some amount of time they when they left the hospital she was in danger but not dead yeah and that Mm -hmm. was something they knew and then Past that point, something happened, right? That's still a huge amount of time compared to the 10 minutes we were told at the start of the movie, which again, let, maybe it's a lesser dose. 
I don't well, know. but that's right. the thing. I mean, like if it's a lesser dose, like there's there's going to be a certain threshold of of like either this will kill you or this won't kill you. Yeah, but like it, Joel has brought this up before. There are a lot of ways to kill someone slowly, but if you mm-hmm. just want to be dead right now, you only have a couple options. This isn't one of those options. Yeah, it just just being honest. Yeah. So. Uh, and basically the only explanation to that is that maybe Marta was just wrong in her assumption that he would be dead in 10 minutes and she told him the wrong info and then he just... Well, now she's just a bad nurse. <laughs> right. But like the the symptoms are going to begin and become irreversibly, you know, the, well, increasing become progressively starting, worse. starting at this point. So like you can you can fiddle with that timeline a little bit using the words that she said. Yeah, um, like I said, you can but two hours, but then, but a little the, bit of a stretch. I mean, well, you, and you don't know that she got again a hundred because again, not only did I, I I open this objection with, hey, if you have a, a medicine that you can have a lethal dose of, they don't give you a vial that contains a lethal dose, right? So we had two lethal doses come out of this vial, technically, because we we killed quote unquote Harlan at the start. Mm-hmm. And then the same vial is what's used for Fran and it's still enough for lethal dose. So we're still in just fantasy land right now. Well, and, and especially on that second one, I mean, like Ransom is, is intending to kill her. Here. Right. He's deliberately pulling so as he's much pulling as, he as much as he possibly mm-hmm. can. And then like it's, it's dripping and it's overflowing at this point and he's just, you know, stabs in her neck and yeah. there you go. Yeah. So I, I'll definitely give you the inconsistency in the timetable. Um, but it's in terms of like character motivation at that point, one Harlan is wildly flamboyant in his imagination. Right. Mm -hmm. And then two, what he is immediately confronted with is I'm dead either way. Right. Mm -hmm. Like by the time medical help can arrive to me, maybe I won't be dead, but the damage will have been done. And even if he's completely saved, she's still guilty of, she's still going to be trouble for malpractice. And so, and so, and it's, and it's not just her, right? Mm -hmm. Like her family is here without proper immigration papers. Mm -hmm. And so her whole life is going to be destroyed. And so he sees a way out of that and he is a big enough egotist that he'll, he'll take it. Right. So like from, from a, from a characterization perspective, I actually really like that because it speaks to their relationship, her, her friendship mm -hmm. being the most important relationship that he has at this point in his life, which is pretty sad but well, and he also knows like we don't know but he also knows at that point hey i've already guaranteed her life is going to be good yeah and he made that effort prior to this happening and it's like well the effort i made is going to be wasted yeah if she's you know it's malpractice or whatever mm-hmm. term you want to use for it endangerment i don't know uh I, that's not my only objection to the plot <laughs> but it's my biggest one just because it's just this is the kind of movie where it has to run on the rails right right and that kind of throws it off a little. And then the other rail objection is going to be the pacing. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the movie is just information, 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 information. Like you are, you're crammed in, introduced to all these characters, backstories, what happened the night, boom, 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 boom. And then we as the viewer gets, get told what happened. Mm-hmm. A, a version. Well, but we get told up to that point enough to know why he's dead. Right. right? Yeah. And then we spend a, chunk of time in the middle of this movie with this knowledge with the story just kind of not going anywhere until the end when it picks back up and then it's another cram it all in and it feels like there was some time in there and while i enjoyed some of the interactions of you know marta for whatever reason we have two police officers and a detective standing there with the security guard and marta's the one to put it in the vhs and she's the one to take it out she's gonna be the one to carry it through the woods whatever cops (laughs) who just don't care about chain of custody of evidence but whatever that's fine <laughs> and i'm actually curious if a fridge magnet would be strong enough to wipe a vcr tape i doubt it because it's not i mean you can't you're not even putting it against the tape you can't get to the tape it's still in the case right yeah like you have to be pretty close it to, has to be to a VHS pretty tape. good magnet i don't i'm not i wasn't prepared to make a huge and they okay. do at least say well it was just shaky and she like ejected it mid-run and then like and it was probably just crappy vhs so it's uh, yeah fine. well yeah i mean like the the technology is is um not consistent enough for you to to really so like it's not complain dig- about it's not it. digital yeah. so there's no. no it's not a yes or no i did like the bit with her and you know go go beyond the whatever object it was so you're past the cameras and then she's mm-hmm. so flustered she can't get it right and then she realizes oh i messed up I like oh gosh i messed this up yeah <laughs> uh, kind of her because she's kind of an unwitting accomplice in this mm-hmm. the whole way through. 
And it's kind of all of the ways in which, because she just doesn't want to do this, that she's just not doing it well. You know, when Ransom comes back to break into the house, he doesn't walk through the mud. He goes up the wall and over yeah. the gate. Yeah. He's thinking. Because he's, he's, well, he's deliberate, where she's just, I have to get here. I have to go here. Yep. Uh, Joel? So I'm, I'm going to take a hop, skip it, a jump, and go all the way up to nine. Oh, wow. I saw that one coming from a and, mile away. Like and I saw Ransom doing it, too. <laughs> well, I mean, you get told the the great Nana looks okay. right at Marta okay. and goes ransom again. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, now there there are a lot of nits to pick, right? And there, I I grant you the the difference in time scale on the two murders by the same mechanism. Uh, but on the other hand, this is structured in a completely different way than your typical murder mystery. It is sure, and it is a bold move that I give a lot of points for because I think that they pulled it off. Well, they're, they're taking a, a classic and trying to twist the twist. Yeah. Yeah. And so because of the disorienting effect of it, not following the familiar beats, my experience with it was, I had no idea what to expect. We get to the middle of the film and we know what happened. And I'm like, Oh, this is a completely different story than I thought. This story is not about who did it. This story is about Marta's experience. Mm-hmm. And so I'm no longer looking for who did it. And that was, I think, the intended effect, which, which worked in my experience. And so for that, it gets a lot of points. Okay. So, so I can offer an olive branch. I don't know if this really belongs in plot or it should have been all the way back up at Spectacle, but it's going here. Uh, I did like the play, right, where we hit the point where Marta, we know what happened Mm -hmm. as far as we know, and Marta is beginning to find her way out of the predicament. Yeah. And the camera highlights the spot of blood on her shoe Mm -hmm. and that it's the whole, the idea of, well, the the blood splatter was uninterrupted, so we know know he had to do it himself. No one was standing there. Yeah. Uh, And that's, that's the breaking point evidence, right? Because that, in a classic whodunit, you would never be shown that peace until the very end mm-hmm. which is what happens but here it's placed not because we're playing a whodunit game it's because we're now we have entered yeah, a, it's a suspense tension and suspense yeah. of, of if she's gonna get of, caught right oh, yeah like this is the good person we should be supporting and she's mm-hmm. got a way out and we're rooting for her and oh this is going to betray her yeah and honey go home and change your shoes you know wash them do something different stop walking <laughs> in the mud what in the world and then at the end of the you know movie the LeBlanc is just like, well, I've been following Blanc. you around because of that. It's not, it's not LeBlanc. It's just Blanc. <laughs> Blanc. 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 Benoit Blanc. Benoit. Yeah, he just. He just Benoit LeBlanc. No, there's no Le. Ah, <laughs> stop. That's the joke. <laughs> Pepe Le <love> you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Baton Rouge. Thank you, cheese. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if we're just going to abuse a Pierre, Pierre Escargo and all that. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that one. <laughs> so uh, I guess uh, entertainment? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, plot bleeds into that a lot for us. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So I guess with um, uh, with my knocks against the plot, because I still consider it a whodunit, like even after they have um, basically even revealed like, like well, clearly he, he killed himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, clearly like, like she thought she messed up kind of thing. I still thought that they're like going through the film I still felt that there was someone that was in the clear wrongdoing mm-hmm. because you can't really have a film without, you can't really have a mystery uh, murder, a mystery murder mystery yeah. without someone going to jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You and need that payoff at the end. You need, you need the payoff. So like the entire time that that was happening, I was still looking for someone that was clearly doing wrong things. Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe just because like, I maybe I just haven't seen enough mystery films or whatever, but whenever they revealed that, I'm like, okay, that's cool. You know, he didn't actually quotation marks die by any wrongdoing. Um, but I don't believe that. I still feel that there's someone else okay. here that that did something wrong. So so then the whole time I'm just like, all right, who did it? You know, th- there was clearly something mm-hmm. something amiss here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's kind of where where I was going with of like, well, it's clearly Chris Evans at this point, just because of the fact that he just has so much screen time. Right. Right. Yeah. What did you give a score? Um, I gave it, uh, I gave it a seven. Okay. okay. Um, it is, it is right below the threshold of if, um, I won't rewatch it again 
by myself or with anyone else that has already seen it. Mm-hmm. But if there was someone that's like, oh, I've never seen Knives Out before, I'll watch it. Cool. Fair enough. Or I guess we're going to slide our way up. Kind of. We're going to stay still for a second because I gave it a seven too. <laughs> and, and for me, a seven is the, the threshold of rewatch. And this is by a nose into mm-hmm. that. Mostly because this is the first time I've seen it. Uh, my biggest objections from an entertainment level are we have a lot of plot that revolves around needles and puking. Yeah. Which I didn't go into the science of this supposed thing. It's something that is technically possible, but it's never really been reported ever before. But just the fact that this is what we rely on for plot twists is we're going to get a lot of close-ups of needles and a woman puking. It's just, I don't, don't mm-hmm. need it. Yeah, the the puking um, part of it was also something that I just never, I don't, I don't like that kind of thing. Even if it's like plot relevant, I'm mm-hmm. just kind of like, mm, good. Well, it's 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 I don't like it, and now it's plot relevant, which means I have to pay attention to it. It's like, I just don't. <laughs> this yeah. isn't what I want. Uh, besides that, I had another piece, and I just well, totally lost. It. Actually, here's a question too. Are are all of the knives on the big donut, are they all fake knives? We have no way of knowing. Because like... Did you just pick up Did you just one? pick up the, the, the wrong knife at the end to try and kill Marta? I, I don't... I, I have no answer for that. So, I don't know. Because like, like some of those are like really long. You can't really have a fake knife unless it's mm-hmm. rubber. So, I don't know. There's a couple other... It could be dull. It would still really hurt if someone... I mean, you, know, you could still kill someone four. with a dull knife. Oh, yeah. no. Well, I mean, like, it could just be unsharpened. It's just a flat piece of steel. Yeah. It'd still really hurt at a minimum. It, yeah, it probably wouldn't kill her unless there was a ton of force behind it. But, well, I mean, it's, yeah. you still have the, the retractor, right? So, like, yeah. the, the amount of force that something on a retracting spring can exert is capped oh. by the spring of the... Oh, no, no. By the oh, no, no. We're, we're, we're not worried, just, like, we're not worried about longer... switchblade. We're talking about if he picked a bigger knife off there that would Like, like a longer blade oh, that, that can't yeah, retract yeah. all the way into yeah. The, yeah. the... Into the hill. Okay, anyways, continue. Sorry, I'm done. I don't... I had something else and I can't pull it up. I can't dredge it up yet. So I'm going to pass it off to Joel okay. and try and think so about as, it. So as counterpoint to, to everything that you have said, <laughs> I, I validate you. I agree that that is a... A I feel validated. Perspective that is perfectly reasonable, but at the same time, I'm going to say that I gave this a ten. Oh wow! And I absolutely loved the Marta throws up every time she tells a lie. <sighs> okay, thing. okay, okay, right? Like, like it is, it is, it is a big ask. It is a really big ask for a writer to say to an audience in a genre that is not science fiction or fantasy. This it's is very grounded in the real here's, world. Here's a rule. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the rule that our plot follows and hinges on. And in other genres, that's very commonplace. Mm-hmm. In this genre, it is a big ask and it's a very bold thing to do. But it is a, once you get past it, mm-hmm. it allows you to do a lot of really, really fun things. Right. Now, if you really don't like watching people be sick, even discreetly on screen, then you're not going to like it. It's but not discreet <laughs> at all. She throws up on Chris Evans right okay, at the end. One time. <laughs> that and, is more than enough. And he deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> I, it. It is a, again, in this style of setting that is just real, mm-hmm. it is a huge line of credit on some disbelief dollars mm-hmm. that they don't, they don't earn very well because it's just real and it's just. I mean, like, I, I absolutely believe that there are people in this world that have a psychosomatic thing to where, like, if, if you know, they feel that they are being dishonest, they will get sick. I mean, typically you would you would stereotypically expect that to accompany some sort of trauma response. Right. Yeah. Uh, which we don't have any evidence of in this particular case. It's just a, yeah, she throws up and she lies. Like, that's just... That's just what it is. That's just, they give you the rule. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine, Joel, you have small children and they they attempt to get away <laughs> with white lies all the time, I imagine, because that's what trials oh, do. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine if one of your children was Marta and it's just the natural child white lie just meant she puked? Your house would be so miserable. I, I like it would be hilarious. And for adoption, in another in another ten years, it would be hilarious. Right now, it would be absolutely. It would miserable. be just a nightmare, right? <laughs> because they don't because they don't understand yet how to control that and that it's really not worth it. You're yeah, right? like, yeah, no, it's just, just like, oh, what have you been up today? <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> don't even say any words. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, first I'm gonna go change my shoes, and second, you are in big trouble, young yeah. lady. Like. <laughs> And then also being just a nurse with that condition. 
Yeah. You know, like, oh, like, oh, am I going to be okay? Yeah, you're good. Everything's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, you notice she doesn't work in a hospital, so. Yeah. Yeah, she's a bespoke nurse where people pay her a lot of money to lie to them instead of just a little. (laughs) Uh, Well, I still have not come up with what my other issue was with entertainment. And it's it's okay. I have a score. It's there. One day I'll remember it. But I think uh, unless anyone else has got anything. So, Joel, actually, I have a question. Joel, yeah. how many times have you watched the movie? Uh, three times. Okay. So, we have a three, a two, and a one. Mm-hmm. Perfect. On that note, I do believe that is everything we have for this episode. So, until next time, I'm Stephen. I'm Andrew. And I'm Joel. And as always, every spoiler was intended. I'm actually really annoyed. I cannot remember my other... Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, you can support the show for as low as $1 at patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. We also have a discord server and would love to have more people joining in the conversation. Links are in the description below. Thank you.